We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, I'd like to start with a rather common, well-known idiom, you can't see the forest for the trees. It's a common problem when we get lost in the details. Perfectionists are particularly vulnerable to this malady. You only have one day to paint the house, right? And you spend the entire morning trying to decide on the paint, right? Blue or brown. Is that too light or too dark? Tick, tock, time's wasting. Well, another way to express that dilemma is we fail to see the big picture. And our text this morning from Psalm 30 invites us to do just that. Invites us that when we are surrounded by trees, to see the forest. To see, to participate in the big picture, actually runs through all of our readings this morning. Acts chapter 9, Saul missed the big picture, right? We first met Saul in Acts chapter 7 as the young men guarding the garments of those who stoned Stephen to death. Opening of chapter 8, we learn that Saul approved of the execution, which emboldened him, as Luke put it, to ravage the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. I mean, up to the point of the theophany in our reading, Saul could certainly boast as he did to the Philippians. If anyone else thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the house of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You could almost hear him taking up the words of our song. Verses seven and, 6 and 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. And then the great reversal. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And suddenly, the second half of verse 7 becomes Saul's darkened reality. You hid your face. I was dismayed. For three days, Saul went about in the darkness of physical blindness, refusing to eat or to drink. We might well have intoned verse 8 of Psalm 30. To you, O Yahweh, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. And finally, the word of the Lord came to Ananias. Truly, one of the unsung heroes of the faith in the Bible. Go to the house of Judas over on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Luke gives us just a little inkling of what's going on in his mind and Ananias' head. Lord, this guy came to find me, to drag me in chains to Jerusalem, and you want me to go find him? Yes. In faith, he does, and Paul's sight is restored, and immediately he's baptized. Luke doesn't record his first words as a Christian, but Psalm 30, verse 2, would certainly be appropriate. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Healed his sight, yes, but healed him so that he could see the bigger picture, that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord's anointed. We, you and I, sometimes get focused on the trees, confidently intoning verse 6 along with Saul, as for me in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But let us turn aside and clear up a bit of vocabulary here. 
When we hear the word prosperity, right, we immediately put it into a financial context. It's a synonym to, synonym to what? Affluence. But that's not the word in Hebrew. This word, this noun, actually only appears once in the Bible. The verbal root from which it comes from is an entirely different tone. It means to be at ease, to be quiet. Things are going along okay, right? The kids aren't screaming right now. My boss is satisfied. Maybe I'll even go fishing on Saturday. But the quiet is interrupted. The test results come back and they're positive. It is cancer. Or a business venture failed and a dream evaporates. A fire, a flood, a foreclosure. Such events are the noise of our everyday life. But we are not always the victim. Sometimes we are the clanging symbol. We lash out in anger or resentment, sins against the fifth or the eighth commandment. We succumb to our selfish desires, sins against the sixth and the seventh commandment. They are all circumstances that try our faith. In the noise of our lives, we can cry out with the psalmist, Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. To who else can we turn, or should we turn? Unfortunately, sometimes prayer is not always our first response. We flail away with our own strength until in our weakness, we are brought to our knees. And then with prayers complete, we lie down, lie down to the sleepless night of dis-ease. Will the cancer spread? Will anything be left? Will the insurance cover the costs? Will my spouse forgive me? The children understand. Will my boss give me another try? There's a line in the middle of verse 5 that captures the state of our souls. Weeping may tarry for the night. Tarry? The word means to spend the night to stay as a lodger or a soldier, and oh, how it lodges. The weeping, the weight, the worry of calamity takes up residence in our hearts and just weighs us down. But God does not leave us there. The second half of the verse exclaims, but joy comes in the morning. It's Easter morning. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. He is the Psalms should first be heard on the lips of Christ. And Psalm 30 is no exception. Easter is verse 3. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down into the pit. In that word pit, we hear, we see both the cross and the tomb, the terror of his passion. There, three days earlier, all the sin of humanity was on his shoulders. All the pain of our unquiet lives. All the guilt and shame that we can barely confess to ourselves. The psalmist captures that in the start of verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. Oh my God, what a moment. An eternity in one moment. An eternity of sin. From the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Does anyone know where the love of God goes? 
when the waves turn the minutes to hours. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. But that was not the end. Alleluia, Christ is risen. His anger is for a moment, but his favor, his favor is for a lifetime, the psalmist writes. God's favor, his ratzon in Hebrew, is all over the psalms. It means God's gracious attitude and actions towards his people, the elect of Yahweh. And then in the book of Leviticus, ratzon identifies the acceptable sacrifice. And both senses are in play on this, the third Sunday of Easter. Here is the acceptable sacrifice for sin. Christ's resurrection brings us into God's favor, God's ratzon. You are forgiven. Talk about a bigger picture. Wow. Revelation chapter 5. John's on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Exile could mean death by starvation or exposure. You could almost hear John asking the questions of Psalm 30 verse 9. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? But there, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. Even more, he's ushered into the heavenly throne room, and the shout of verse 1 becomes his song. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Drawn up indeed to see and hear the confirmation of God's favor upon the Lamb. Revelation 5.12, the chorus of angels sing what we know, right, as the great chorus from Handel's Messiah. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing and glory. Amen. Talk about a big picture. Peter also is invited to see a bigger picture. Right after our gospel reading, extended gospel reading, we hear of Peter's guilt being absolved. Peter learns it's not about him. It's about the Lord's lambs and the Lord's sheep and the command to love. In all of this, for Saul and Peter, for John and the angels, for you and I, is the joy of verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. The cancer may still be there, but so is Christ. The financial challenge of foreclosure or flood or fire may still be there, but so is Christ. The guilt of sin, however, is gone because of Christ. You are redeemed. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the noise of our lives is not always quieted the way we desire. Not the way we hope for. Not the way we pray. But God's design and God's wisdom is greater than our plans. Not only does he see the big picture, he paints it. In his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, Brennan Manning tells this story. Several years ago, Edward Farrell of Detroit took his two-week vacation to Ireland to celebrate his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. On the morning of the great day, Ed and his uncle got up before dawn, dressed in silence, and went for a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. 
Just as the sun rose, his uncle turned and stared straight into the rising orb. Ed stood beside him for 20 minutes. Not a single word was exchanged. And then suddenly his elderly uncle, this guy's 80 years old, begins skipping along the shores of the lake with a radiant smile on his face. Ed has to run to catch up to him and he says, Uncle Seamus, you look so happy. You want to tell me what's, what it's about? Ah, yes, lad, the old man said, tears washing down his face. You see, my father is fond of me. Ah, my father is so very fond of me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your father, your heavenly father, is so very fond of you. So we celebrate with the psalmist. Psalm 30 takes our eyes off of us and puts them on Christ. Verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Verse 4, sing praises to Yahweh, O his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For Christ's resurrection brings us into God's favor for now and for eternity. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus through life everlasting. Amen.